to the world. Wow, thank you. So uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I believe verse 5. The writer of Hebrews makes a certain reference. He says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And we say that this particular reference is given in Psalms chapter 40, uh, verse 7, where David makes mention of the same passage. Who was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus. He was talking about Jesus. But then it was in types and shadows. When some of these prophecies were given, even those that gave these prophecies did not understand in full some of the things that they spoke. That is confirmed in the book of Peter, where he says, um, uh, of which salvation uh, uh, the prophets inquired of. That is in First Peter chapter 1, verse 10. In First Peter chapter 1, um, the Bible says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that shall come to you. So the prophets did prophesy of the grace that would come unto us, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Such in what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So they searched what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should fall. So what was their prophecy? According to what Peter writes, what was their testimony? What did they testify? They testified of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Very interesting passage there. They testified of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. It is the same um, it is the same uh, thing that Christ makes mention of in Luke 24. Because in Luke 24, when Christ appeared to his apostles and he was confirming to them the things that he spoke about in the scriptures, he summarized for them. When he walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he said, Oh, ye fools and slow had to believe all that the prophets have written. Out Christ not to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning from Moses and the prophets, he began to expound to them the things concerning himself. So Jesus began to explain to them things concerning himself. Where was he getting the explanation from? 
Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and also the prophets, all the writings of the prophets. He began to expound to them the things concerning himself. So he was reading to them the Old Testament, and he was showing them in the Old Testament things that had been spoken concerning himself. What was the summary of the things that were spoken concerning Christ in the Old Testament? What was the content of those things? What was the communication in the Old Testament concerning Jesus? That Christ will suffer and he will enter into his glory. Now, Peter again makes mention of the same in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10. He says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and such diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, such in what manner of time was uh, the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, if I would read it in a rather simplified version, as I always do, uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. So what did the prophets testify about? What did they prophesy about? The prophets prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They prophesied about salvation that comes by grace. In the Amplified, it says, the prophets who prophesied of the grace, divine blessing, which was intended for you, searched and inquired earnestly about this salvation. In the message, it says, the, the prophets who told us this was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing. The Messiah spirit in them let them in on some of it. The Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when, and they were told that they were serving you. You who by orders from heaven have now heard of your, for yourselves through the Holy Spirit, the message of those prophecies fulfilled. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. So you see that the prophecies were about the gracious life of salvation, the salvation to be revealed. It was about salvation that was going to be revealed by grace. The gracious salvation that was prepared for us, that was what they prophesied about. They prophesied about the grace that shall come unto you. And so they searched. In verse 11, it says, they wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. So from this passage, one of the things that we can establish that was the volume of the prophecies what we can establish as the content of the prophecies of the Old Testament or what was prophesied by the prophets concerning Christ was the gracious salvation that was to be revealed to us. That was what they prophesied about. They prophesied about the gracious salvation 
that was going to be revealed to us. And that gracious salvation was, was, was contained in the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Which glory was his resurrection? His ascension. So the contents of their prophecy was, a, was prophesying about a gracious salvation, a gracious salvation, salvation by grace was the contents of the prophecy that was now going to be delivered through the means of Christ's suffering and his resurrection and his ascension. So the salvation that is by grace that we have received is through the sufferings of Christ and the glory that has followed. That is what was contained in the prophecies. That was the content of the prophecies that spoke about Christ in types and in shadows. So when they prophesied, they inquired what manner of time these things were going to happen. So when Jesus was expounding to the disciples the things concerning himself, when the Bible says in Luke 24, I believe verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ was explaining the things that were spoken about him and how he has fulfilled them. Because when he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And we understand that when he said it is finished, he was talking about what has been fulfilled. That there had been prophecies that had been spoken of, and he has fulfilled them. So now, when he is talking to his disciples who did not believe the resurrection, he is explaining to them the fulfillment of those prophecies. He is explaining to them the fulfillment of those promises that God beforehand had prophesied to Abraham and said that your descendants will be as the sands of the sea. When he says that, the descendants will be as the sands of the sea and that great inheritance that he spoke to Abraham, he was talking about salvation through the seed of Abraham, Christ who came crucified. And now many can come into the knowledge of Christ Jesus. So we see that Christ comes in and begins to explain the fulfillment of these uh, prophecies. He comes and begins to explain the fulfillment of these prophecies. So this explanation that now Christ comes and gives is an explanation that is supposed to help the apostles preach the gospel as they should or preach the resurrection 
as they should. That is the purpose for his explanation. And so the understanding that the apostles received is seen in the book of Acts by the summons in which they pre The summons that they preached are a revelation of their understanding of Christ. And so when you look at the summons, they preached Christ's resurrection. They did not preach about the art of making chariots. They did not talk about uh, the chariot uh, industry. They did not talk about the tent making industry. They did not preach about the fishing industry. They did not preach about professions, but they explained the resurrection of Christ. And this is critical for us to understand because it helps us understand what is to be emphasized, what is to be preached. The apostles preached the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. The apostles preached the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and that he's alive and that he's reason and what it means for you. But there is forgiveness of sins, that repentance and remission of sins is preached in his name and that we can all come and be united with the Father because Christ has paid the price by dying on the cross and now he is risen. So we identify with him in the newness of life. We identify with him with this new identity. That was the essence of their message. It was the essence of their preaching. It was the essence of their communication. So the Bible in itself is not a business book. The Bible is a book containing prophecies and promises about Christ. And so some people might look at the Bible as a very uh, beautiful piece of poetic work. Some of it will look at it as a historical document. Some will look at the Bible as a tool where they can learn business principles. But we understand what has been emphasized is Christ and Christ alone. Now, with that said, the book of Acts contains the account of the apostles and how they preached and the things that they did. Then we said, now when we come to the epistles, we see them explaining the significance of the resurrection and the effects thereof to the believer. That is where we get strong affirmations about a believer's life in Christ. That is when we come across terminologies like in Christ, 
And you remember when I was reading to you Ephesians chapter one, I continually made, I, or rather I continually pointed out statements that contained in Christ or through Christ severally. We read Ephesians chapter one, which said, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So the first statement is that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He is sent of Jesus Christ. That means he is a messenger of Christ Jesus by God's will. So a messenger of Christ is one who delivers Christ's message. And then he says, the letter is addressed to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So he was addressing those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, those who follow Christ Jesus. Then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace and peace is yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have grace and you have peace operative in your life through Jesus Christ our Lord. His grace is sufficient for us. Through every demand of life, his grace is able to supply. A statement well put is that there is no demand which life can bring that grace cannot supply. There is no demand that life can bring which grace cannot supply. So his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His grace is the unmerited love and goodness of God that has been poured out to us who believe in him. It is what he has freely poured out unto us. And his grace is also what enables us and teaches us to have no pleasure or desire for sin. The Bible says in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly passions, we should live sober, upright, and godly lives in this present world. As we await the glorious return of our great God and Savior, who gave himself for us that he might purge us from all sin and to preserve for himself a people who are zealous for good works. So the grace of God teaches us, the grace of God is personified in Christ. In John chapter one, the Bible says of his fullness have we received grace upon grace. The Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We have seen his glory, such as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is grace personified. He is the person of grace. Jesus is grace in, in a body, if I would put it that way. So, We now talk about in Christ realities. We talk about our lives being in Christ. And Ephesians continues to echo it. 
it says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes ahead and says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. So in Christ, you have grace. In Christ, you have peace. In Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ, which means that God has not withheld any blessing, but he has blessed you. And we know how we are blessed together with Abraham. What is the blessing that we are justified by faith? It is justification by faith that God has declared us not guilty, that God has accepted us to himself, that we are beyond reproach, that he has no accusation against you, that he looks upon you as the object of his love. He loves you. He cares for you. You are precious to him. What a blessing that is. And just by the fact that you are without fault in his eyes, this God who has created this universe, this God who has created the, uh, this world. You are the object of his love. You are the object of his affection, that he looks upon you as one who is irreproachable because he has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It means that, um, first and foremost, it means that... Uh, It means that to start with, before the very eyes of God, before the very eyes of God, he has accepted you and that you're precious to him. Therefore, he has allowed you to have access to all that he has in him so there is no way that you can start having a battle concerning the pursuit of material things your mentality with god cannot be centralized around material things because his acceptance and validation of you his 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 desire that has been focused on you to make you beloved unto him, to make you acceptable unto him, means that he does not withhold any good thing from you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he has. Now, to help break your mindset away from the fact that we talk about spiritual blessings and then you begin to look at your material uh, life and you you wonder, am I really blessed of God? I have never seen anyone explain the contrary of a blessing, which would be a curse in material things. I say I've never seen anyone explaining curses from material things. So we believe that curses are something spiritual that have an impact on the outcome of someone's physical life 
we believe that it is an unseeable force that determines the outcome of someone's life. So if someone is cast, we say that there are forces fighting them or causing them. Just bear with me. I'm sorry for that. So, as I was explaining, we believe that curses are unseen and they have an impact in someone's outcome. So we believe that if someone said something bad to you, whether a parent, whether uh, a grandparent, it has the ability to produce certain outcomes in your life. So in the same way, we should understand that when the Bible talks about blessings, the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, these are unseen things. This is the justification by faith. This is the acceptable uh, state that we have before God, being accepted in the beloved. Him bestowing his love and his goodness upon us. And so somebody might say, okay, fine. So God loves me. God cares for me. He said all these things. Is that enough? Because I want to see myself driving a big car. And, you know, um, I was listening to this song. Uh, there's this song that goes, amen. Amen. Uh, and it talks about when you put your hands to something, it, it is going to work. And I think in between the artist quotes that I don't know if you're going to meet Dangote or something, <laughs> but you know, it talks about uh, things like that. I remember one song we had, Akisema uh, Takubariki. If he says, if you've been riding something like a bicycle and he says you'll drive a muso. You remember that song? Akisema Takubariki, Hakuna Takaezuia. And so, because of that understanding, we tend to think that the blessings of God are, for example, if you were riding a bike and now you're riding a muso, that you are now blessed. But you see, that can easily be challenged by logic. It doesn't mean that all people who drive big cars are full of joy, are full of peace, are full of good health and strength. No. It is not a guarantee. So what do we know? We know first that the blessing of God works in our lives by the reality of our standing in God, by the reality of our placement in Christ. That is the blessing of God. And the physical outcomes, the physical outcomes of our life are things that are added unto us. They are not the focus. They are not the priority. As a matter of fact, they're not that important to God because if he has already bestowed his love upon you, what about these other things? They are trivial. They are yours. You can access them. You can access them. And whether you access them or not does not determine God's nature 
or his love or his goodness toward you. So that the pursuit of the believer can never be material things. It can never be material things. Like we can have godliness with contentment as great gain. So the reality is in your standing right now, are you able to say that you are blessed by God? Are you able to say that you are loved and you're accepted? Because the acceptance of his love into your heart is the beginning of healing from any wrong, from any wound or any pain that anyone would have ever encountered in this life. His love heals your heart. But as long as you can ever appropriate the identity that Christ has already bestowed upon you, you can walk through life bitter, angry, regretful, you can pass through life being so resentful and the same insecurity that you have, the anger, the bitterness, the, the wounds that you have are going to be projected to those close to you. Target number one could be your spouse. Target number two, your children. Target number three, your family members. Four, your friends. Five, your workmates. And so you can become unpleasant, a person to be around. Because you are thinking in your mind that you are disadvantaged. You are thinking in your mind that you, that you are not good enough, that you have not been accepted or loved enough. And so you're looking at yourself from a place of disadvantage. And so you cannot find any reason to rejoice. Um, bear with me as I, as I keep muting my microphone. I think I've explained why. So, the Bible clearly states that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It means that God has made you the object of his love. He has accepted you. That he has taken away all accusations, all issues, all manner of guilt and condemnation that was upon you it has been taken away and so you have an identity in christ and the bible says just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless without uh before him in love that you should be beyond reproach he chose you before the foundation of the world that you should be without blame beyond reproach before him with his love bestowed upon you So one, you are without reproach. Two, his love is bestowed upon you. So God's love is bestowed upon you. Now, his love being bestowed upon you, it clearly shows that you are in a certain state in God, that you're loved and you're accepted. It doesn't matter how many haters you have. It doesn't matter how many people may not celebrate you. He has chosen to love you. Now, these things 
being said to the believer are so fundamental because until you accept them you will never be able to exhibit the the peace and the grace that you have in Christ you'll still be a cloud chaser you'll still be chasing for attention chasing for recognition chasing for validation chasing for all manner of things that can make you feel complete and you will never find them a prophecy given in jeremiah chapter chapter 2:1 where israel had rejected the fountain of living water which was god and that they had looked for cisterns uh that cannot hold water as a means of quenching the thirst that was in their life and the question is without this godly affirmations without these affirmations that come from god's word how many broken systems are you going to go to seeking for something that will quench your thirst and they might never be able to quench your thirst and it's interesting that this thing has spoken to even believers who are in the church why because we are guilty of that we are guilty of that sometimes our validation and our affirmation comes from how many members we have even as a pastor how many members do i have it becomes a reason for boasting saying no I'm, i pastor 3000 people people say hey man of god you are powerful and you know how that lingo goes but it can also be close to close home to our personal lives you know there's a joke that uh my wife usually cracks uh that at one time i told her um <laughs> told her babe you need to start depending on the holy ghost and not me uh it brought a lot of chaos but rather when we were having that conversation as we were journeying through our our relationship we discovered that our greatest source of fulfillment and peace is not predicated on the other spouse delivering to our expectations because sometimes they can never be met but the peace and the stillness comes from Christ Jesus the reality of our identity in Christ being rubber stamped on our hearts is what allows us to experience the peace and the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ so there are a lot of affirmations to the believer it says that he has predestined us unto the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will it pleased him to adopt us as his own children by Jesus Christ it pleased god to 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 identify you as his child it pleased god to have you as his child it pleased him it pleased him and so he says i will never leave you nor forsake you because it pleases him to be a father to you you know sometimes you can be wondering god are you really down with me like are you really for me you know i've got all these messes in my life i've got all these issues in my life and you know god is like you know what listen it is it was my idea to be your dad 
you didn't choose me, I chose you. It was my idea. It was my idea to send Christ to die on the cross while you were dead in your sin and trespasses. You had no clue. It was all my idea. He chose to love us. And so the Bible is saying it was his good pleasure to have you as his child. And all this is to the praise of his glorious grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. By which he has made us accepted in the beloved. All to the praise of his glorious grace. That's a beautiful statement. It's beautiful. It says that long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What a pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted to enter he wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. You know, he's a father who wanted to lavish his love upon you continually. And, and I can tell you something. And even those people who, uh, I think many of you here, my apologies. So sorry for that. Now, we, uh, um, when I have conversations with friends, when, you, when we sit down and we have conversations, either with fellow brethren, even sometimes with friends who have come home here, and sometimes when we begin to really talk about our lives, when you begin to have a conversation about your life, about your childhood, you see, the marks, the marks of our parenting are still visible in our adult life. The impact of how we were parented, the impact of how we interpreted love, how we received love, how love was communicated, how we interacted with our parent is still visible to this day. It's still visible. As a matter of fact, it still becomes an issue in how we relate with one another. And sometimes you can look at somebody and you can tell this person has been deeply wounded. This person has been deeply offended. This person has gone through a certain situation. They still showed. They still show. And it is the love of Christ that comes and turns around that. It's the love of Christ that comes and changes that. It changes that so that it can make us be able to exhibit his identity and his nature. I have seen it happen in my life personally. Um, because of my upbringing and some of the 
experiences I had from uh, my parenting life, uh, for, for me being parented rather, uh, from the mother, from the mother, from, from my mother's aspect, there were some challenges. And then what I discovered is I got locked up in, I wasn't accustomed to receiving love. I wasn't accustomed to um, being vulnerable and I wasn't accustomed to being brave enough to love beyond my ability or beyond my resources. I was afraid to love. I, I was afraid to to open my heart to so many people because I always felt insufficient to love them as I should. I always felt insufficient to love them as I should, to love them uh, as I should. And and some of it still shows up. I, I, I talk about it even uh, sometimes when I'm having conversations with my wife and people like, uh, I, I don't like so much drama in my life. I like managing a small space that is peaceful, uh, no ahala and everything. But it stems from how I was brought up because I, I learned to move away from that drama. I learned to move away from that chaos. So because I don't like it, I don't like, I feel like the more entertaining I become, if I become more entertaining in loving people, if I become more entertaining in accepting people, then it will attract more trouble because I will be forced to have a commitment to love them. I will be forced to have a commitment to always be there for them. I will be forced to have a commitment of some, some level to the people I have in my life. And I always feel like that was a too much of a mountain. Maybe because I can never deliver. I can never sufficiently be able to do it. My heart is not enlarged enough to accept all these people. Why? It's because I didn't experience so much love in that regard in my upbringing, or I never really understood what love is. And so I always find my wife challenging me in that regard because I see her as being broader in her love for people. She's more open for people. She has a greater capacity for people. She has a greater acceptance of people. And so, if that is the reality of how my heart is, the more I continue loving Christ, the more I continue receiving these affirmations that have been spoken in the word of God, the more that identity that I have drawn from my upbringing changes and now allows me to exhibit the very nature and ability of, of loving people just like Christ did. The more I am able now to open my heart even more to people. Now, this is just a scenario that I'm sharing, but I know you can relate it to a certain degree with some area of your life. You can relate it. And so as you, as you have an introspection, as the Holy Ghost helps you, the moment you begin to accept these affirmations that come 
from God's word. The more you begin to accept this descriptions that have been given for the believer in Christ and you begin to speak them and you begin to pray in that regard the more it changes your heart the more it makes you acceptable accept, acceptable to God's love when he tells you that he loves you sometimes i find when someone chooses legalism of a grace it is rooted also in the fact that because you have never known what it means to be accepted you have never known what it means to receive love freely either you've had to work hard for your love either you've had to work hard to receive the words i love you or you've never received those words i love you even from your parents so you always feel like you need to work hard as a wife maybe you feel like you have to work hard for your husband to love you or as a man you feel like you need to do so much for your woman to tell you i love you or for your parents you never received gifts you never received any affirmation you never received any words of acceptance or from people you never received any words of acceptance until you did something for them until you had to do something for them until you had to do something for people is when you could receive love is when you could receive acceptance so if it has been built around that merit of having to qualify yourself to receive his love if it has been built around that system of having to qualify yourself to receive acceptance it will be so difficult to accept a god who tells you i love you just the way you are and i have bestowed my affection on you just the way you are and you're like no 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 i still need to do something for god i still need to do something i still need to pray more i still need to serve more i still need to be committed more i still need to do something so that i can feel like i have earned this love and if your interpretation of love has been through a system of, of of meritocracy it is the same condition that you will place upon people it is the same condition that you will bestow on other people you will expect them to earn your love you will expect them to earn your love so you will hold back to love them you will hold back to to love them or to accept them because they have to attain it and now as we look into the scripture we see these affirmations are they just written there so that we can say them or so that we can internalize them that they can bring an effect into our hearts that they can bring a change into our heart of hearts deep deep inside us they can be a change so as the word of god speaks to us and we see the scripture telling us even as in his love he chose us actually picked us out for himself as his own in christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy consecrated and set apart for him and blameless in his sight even above reproach before him in love 
for he foreordained us, destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his purpose because it pleased him and this was his intention. It clearly shows that God intended these things for us and he chose to bestow this love for us. It was his plan. It was his plan. It was his plan. And I have taken you through Ephesians chapter one for the past two Sundays, just reading through those affirmations, reading through those statements that are con con contained there. That God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And that he has showered us with kindness along with wisdom and understanding. Or rather in the message it says, because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we are a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in the deepest heaven, everything on the planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you once, you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This down payment from God is the first installment of what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Indeed, he's plan for us his intention for us is a grand intention a grand it is something grand and so now as we were reading these affirmations when we look in ephesians chapter 2 now he talks about how we have been made alive in Christ. And Paul talks about that, how God has made us alive in Christ. And it says here, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclines or inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. 
but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, so God, who is so rich in mercy, who is so rich in mercy, but God, who is so rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us all. Among, uh, but God, so rich is he in mercy because of and in order to satisfy the great, wonderful, and intense love with which he loved us. That even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible love of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things. He planned for us long ago. You see, in that passage, the Bible is very clear in its expression. The Bible is very clear in its explanation. We were dead in sin. We were in our worst state. We were in the worst state ever. But God was rich in mercy and love. So it is through his love and mercy that he looked upon us when we were dead in sins that he has given us life by Christ Jesus, that it is by grace that he has saved us. And it is by grace that he has raised us up together and to make us seat with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ so that we are examples. We are examples of his exceeding riches and grace. Dead in sin raised to sit in the heavenlies from the dust dead to the throne exalted that is the story of a believer and that is the example of god's grace and kindness as it was spoken prophetically in the book of samuel that he lifts the beggar from the dunghill and the poor man from the dust and he makes them to inherit the throne of glory. Clearly, that is affirmed by the scriptures. Now, that being said, brothers and sisters, the greater expression expression that it is by God's grace 
that you were dead and buried, that you were a man who was dead and buried, but because he was rich in love and mercy, he chose to raise you up and to make you sit with Christ in glory. As an example of his grace and kindness. And then we are reminded it is not because of our good deeds. It is not because of anything you have done for God. But it is because of his grace that you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So no one can boast when God has made you his masterpiece. Is for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Then He continues and says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, you called uncircumcised heathens, by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant of promises, covenant promises God had made with him. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into the people, into one people, when in his own body of the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was death. He brought good news of peace to the Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners who are citizens along with all of God's people. We are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple of God. Through him, you Gentiles are also the men, part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now listen to those statements. I mean, I can never expound them enough what it says about the identity of the believer. You are God's dwelling place. You are God's dwelling place. You are his masterpiece. You are his pleasure and his delight. You are an example of mercy and grace. A product of mercy, a product of God's grace.
And so with this reality given to us, this, this reality revealed to us, the question is, what is it supposed to accomplish in our lives? What are these validations supposed to accomplish in your life? I try to read it in the simplest of versions so I can take away a language that appears to be a little bit technical so I can serve it in the simplest ways to show you what your heavenly father says about you. To show you what your heavenly father says about you. Now, with this said concerning you, with these things said concerning you by your heavenly father, it is important for you to take it to heart. It's important for you to take these realities to heart. It is so important that these realities are taken to heart for you. So important and so I want us to have a small time of just examining our lives. And as we examine our lives, I want you to pose a number of questions to you, to yourself rather, that in your heart of hearts, when the Lord is speaking all these great validations to you, have you believed them? Have you accepted them? Oh, how are you living your life? What are the things that are out of place in your life? And why are they out of place? Are they out of place because you have refused to be persuaded about these truths that the Lord is speaking concerning you? So when you have refused to accept these things, when you have refused to be persuaded about this reality, or rather when you have still not yet come to a place of accepting these realities, how are things in your life? Are you living as one who is loved? Are you living as one who has been accepted? Or are you still troubled in your heart? Are you finding yourself in the wrong relationship? For example, are you finding yourself in a situation where you know whatever I am getting into or whatever I'm doing is wrong? 
it is not a reflection of what God has said concerning me. So that these statements that are painted in the Bible are just not mere words, but they are statements of truth that we are willing to grasp them deeply in our hearts and say, let this reality change me. Let this reality change my attitude. Let this reality change my outlook of life. Let it change my image of self. Let it change my life. Um, Pastor Mbogo, you could just uh, uh, look at the message. I've written something to you there. So, these are serious questions that I want you to really pose in your life. Because we, we see believers sometimes living contrary to this. We see believers living contrary to this reality. We see believers living contrary to this reality. And the consequences of these things sometimes are not right. Um, when, you have to, when you have to cancel Christians for, for, for making choices that you can clearly see evidently from the scriptures, that this is contrary to their identity in Christ. This is contrary to their identity in Christ. It's contrary. You know, sometimes we handle situations, you handle a situation where someone comes and tells you, you know, um, I'm married to my wife, but I feel like I'm in love with somebody else. I feel like my commitment is with somebody else. And you look at this person and you say, hey, listen, that can never be so. That is not the love of Christ. That is not the love of God. Your feelings can never override the truth and the purity of God's love. Because the purity of God's love is love is not selfish. It is not self-seeking. It is not self-centered. I always say these things, uh, and I, I always tell my wife, if I ever, if I ever cheat on you, it has no reflection on the person that you are. But it is all on the fact that I have become selfish and weak to love as the scripture instructs me to do so. I have turned away from the sincere convictions of God's word and I have chosen to pursue my own desires and I have neglected the identity of what the Lord has made me. And we see these things continually happening in people who know Christ. People are saying, you know what? We believe in the grace of God. We believe in the finished works of Jesus Christ. But we're saying, hey, has it resonated in your heart? Or is it just a message that we love to preach because it's beautiful? Is the message just beautiful that we love to preach it? We just talk about it casually. Or is it really meaningful to your heart? The descriptions of love, the descriptions of affection 
that the Lord is according to you. When they capture your heart, you will see the manifestation of it. When the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin, it causes no ill to its neighbor. It believes all things. We will see it. We will see it in marriages that are falling apart. We will see the quickness to forgive. We will see when the Bible says that charity is easily entreated and it does not insist on its own way. We will see it where I do not have to insist on my own way as a couple, as a spouse, as a husband. It doesn't have to be my way or the highway. I don't have to insist on my own way. But when we do that, we show that this reality of what we have been made in Christ has not yet become manifest in our hearts. It can never be manifested. God's love can never be manifested where we are always insisting on our own way. Where his kindness and his goodness takes a back seat because of ideas that we have. You know, we were having a conversation with my wife this morning and I was telling her, how do we get to a place where, for example, as men, we have a certain idea or a certain attitude about women that we disregard them, we consider them to be wrong? Or how does a woman get to a place where every appearance of a man seems to be something that is offensive, something that is unpleasant? How? With all these movements that we have, all these movements, whether you identify with any misogynist group or any supremacy group for that matter, whatever group you identify with, the question is, do we identify with Jesus? I was seeing footage of World War One, And I was looking at what is happening in Israel and Palestine. And I said, almost over 100 years down the line, we are still the same. That it's so possible in this day and age where we have technology, we have information, we have all the different movements that have risen up. We have all this education, but the heart of man can be triggered in minutes and we can fire rockets to one another to destroy other people because we feel that they do not deserve to exist or they are a threat to our existence. It means that all the different strides that have been made over time cannot change the heart of men. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the identity with the Father, when he speaks about his love for you, when he says that you can be without reproach before him, when he says he planned beforehand that you should be holy and blameless before him in love, when he says in his word that he has blessed you with all spiritual blessings, when he says in his word that he has made you his masterpiece, took you from the dust when you were dead in sin, and he uh, raised you together up with Jesus Christ and made you sit with himself. When his love captures our hearts. Bible says then love causes no ill to its neighbor.
The Bible is clear that now we can demonstrate the charity and the kindness and the goodness of God to one another. And then we can be an example of his grace and love. We are examples of his grace and love. The Bible says of his fullness have we received grace upon grace, referring to Jesus. And now we are identified with him. So can these same things be revealed through our lives? Can we take hold of these statements of identity and affirm them in our spirit? Affirm them. Affirm them strongly. So when you pray, you affirm these things. You affirm them. In your spirit, you say, Father, I thank you that you have quickened me who was once dead in trespasses and sins, that you have made me alive, that I was once dead in trespasses and sins, obeying the commander of the powers of this unseen world, the spirit that walk in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I thank you that I was once dead in sin, that I was an object of your wrath, but because of your grace and mercy and the love that you have so much loved me, that even when I was dead in sin, you gave me life and you raised me from the dead. By your grace, I have been saved. I thank you that you have raised me from death and you have made me to sit with Christ in the heavenly realms because I am united with Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that presently I am the incredible wealth of your grace and kindness. I am the example of your grace and kindness to this world. It is shown in my unity in Christ. It is shown by the grace wherewith you have saved me. Thank you that I am your masterpiece, that I am created anew in Jesus Christ, that I can do all the good things that you have planned for me to do, that I can walk in the works that you have ordained me to walk in. I thank you that I am now accepted in you, I am near, drawn to you, I have access to you, that you are my peace and that there is no division or wall that stands against me from your love. I thank you that I am reconciled to you, my Father. I thank you that I am no longer a stranger, that I am built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, that I am a dwelling place for your spirit, that I am a dwelling place for your presence. I am a dwelling place for your spirit. Your spirit dwelleth in me. God dwelleth in me. You are present in me, Lord. And that is my identity. That is who I am in Christ Jesus. Nothing less. All that you have said I am, I am in Christ Jesus. I want you to look at those things and affirm those realities in your heart. I want you to affirm those realities in your heart. Prayerfully, prayerfully affirm them. Affirm them. Any negative experience, any negative mindset, any worldly belief, the wisdom of this world, 
the wisdom of this world. That wisdom of this world, that belief system of this world, which the Bible refers to that wisdom that is devilish, that wisdom that is described in the book of James. In James 3.15, sorry. Let me just get that. In James three fifteen. Sorry for that. The Bible says, but if you have bitter, envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. <sighs> Sorry. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So now, in the presence of envy and strife, in the presence of bitterness, in the presence of anger, in the presence of all this negativity, in the presence of division, this is not godly. It's not the wisdom of God. But the Bible says the wisdom that is from above is fast, pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And this is the love of God that rules our heart. That we're able to love with the God kind of love. That we are able to exist with that kind of love in our hearts. This can only be possible if we have accepted his love into our hearts. We have accepted his affirmations to us as believers and all the things that he has said concerning us. So my prayer is that today you will take hold of this identity that you have in Jesus. As I explained before, in the epistles is when we get the descriptions of our identity in Christ, drawn from the understanding of his resurrection by the apostles. As we read through and we receive these statements of affirmation, let us try and bring them practically to our lives. Because Jesus loved us when we were 
yet in our sin and trespasses, God loved us. And if he loved us in our worst, I want to bring it back to your heart and my heart too. How is my relationship with my wife? How is my relation? How is your how is one's relationship? Rather, we ask ourselves, how is my relationship with my wife? How's my relationship with my husband? How's my relationship with my siblings? How's my relationship with those that are close to me? What kind of relationship am I getting into? No matter what kind of pain that has been inflicted in your heart. I always say this, when someone can inflict so much pain, it's only a reflection of the absence of love in their heart. Hurting people will hurt others. So may God give us a, an ability to look beyond those who have offended us, to see them as also objects that are deprived of God's grace and love because they can never supply what they do not have. And we pray that now we can be that example of God's love and grace towards one another, towards those that we love, towards those that we live with. God help us to be a demonstration of this grace so that these truths that are being described for the believers can be a reality. It's not just telling you the Greek word for uh, sanctification means for example, I will tell you it means ziragiasmos or this, and it's drawn from this word or this word and everything. Yes, I can explain that to you. But in, in actual sense, when it says that you have been sanctified, that means you've been set apart. You are special unto him. But the question is, am I really special unto him? Have I accepted that reality? Have I accepted it in my heart so that it can be demonstrated from my heart? Truly, have I accepted it? I say this because even among us as believers, I never take the assumption that everything is just fine. I don't take the assumption that everything is just okay. You know, everyone is just okay and everything. Until you pray these things into your heart, until you pray these things into your heart, there's one thing you, you read, you read, but can you pray a whole epistle and repeat it, repeat it and repeat it and repeat it? As you stand before your mirror and you look at it and you say, grace and peace is mine. From God, my Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace is mine. Grace and peace, grace and peace is mine. Concerning the situations of my relationship, I, I, I have of the peace of God. I have the peace of God. The peace of God. The peace of God. I have his grace operating in my life. His grace that teaches me to live godly lives. To despise sin. To despise wickedness. To esteem righteousness. And so you pray these things in your life until it's not just head knowledge but it is part of your life and these things are, are reality i tell you when you spend time speaking in tongues and confessing these things it doesn't matter what you're dealing with 
his grace, his love is able to overwhelm and to flood your heart. So that this negativity, this bitterness, this anger, this wrongdoing, this guilt can be replaced or taken away that the identity of Christ can be affirmed inside of you. It can be affirmed inside of you. And that is my prayer for you today. That these realities can be affirmed. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church after giving them all those beautiful validations. And he said, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, that your eyes, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. That you may know the hope of his calling. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. That you may know. That you may have the right and precise knowledge. That you may affirm these realities in your life. That you may acknowledge them. That is my prayer for you today. That as you interact with these writings of the, of the epistles, you will make serious affirmations in your life. And Alexander will draw for you a list of affirmations that you can pray those things, you can speak those things into your life. In the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word that has been revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the affirming statements that are drawn from the understanding of Christ, that are drawn from our reality of being in Christ. These statements are true, these statements are beautiful, that we are your masterpiece, that Lord, you have lifted us from the dust as those who were dead in sin, and that you have elevated us to a place where we are seated with Christ, to a place of glory, honor, and majesty, not of our own doing, but by your grace alone. And my prayer, Father, is that for each and every one of us, these statements will not be just things we read from the book called the Bible, but they will be statements that are imprinted on our hearts, that as we meditate upon them, as we profess these realities, Lord, they will be firmed up in our spirit, man. They will be part of our identity that will cause us to live a life different from what we are accustomed to. They will cause us to live a life of godliness, a life of love, a life of grace, a life of beauty, my Father that our lives will be pleasant to many, drawing them to give praise and glory to you, Father, because they will see your goodness in our lives. I pray for every person that is here, Lord, in the different situations that they are in, whether they are single, whether they are married, whether they're in a family setting or living by themselves, from their 
trades, my father, be it employment or business, or education, whatever occupation, father, that we will, ex we will experience the reality of your grace, the reality of your love, the reality of your acceptance toward us, O oh God. Because of the love wherewith you have loved us, I pray that God, we will accept it more and more, that we will experience tremendous healing in the hearts where we have been offended, the fears and the, and the insecurities that we have, insecurities that could be drawn from our looks, insecurities that could be drawn from our possessions, the insecurities that could be drawn from previous hearts, the insecurities that could be drawn from our experiences, I pray, let them all be flooded. Let them all be swept away, my Father, by the love of God, for there is no fear in love. Father, I pray that this love will bring your peace in the hearts of men, that we will see ourselves as the object of your love. We will see ourselves as we have been defined. We will believe when you say that you desired to make us your children, that it was your great pleasure in love to cause us to be a blameless before you, my Father. And that these things will be a reality to us. A reality to us, oh God. Lord, I bless you and I thank you. I commit everyone to you. Whatever desires they have, whatever prayer requests. I thank you because you love them, Lord. Because you love them, Lord. Because you care for them. Because you care for them. The word says, casting our cares to you because you care for us. Because you care for them. I can boldly say thank you, Father, that you're going to answer them, that you're going to minister to them, that we will see the results and we will rejoice in you, my Father. I give you praise and I give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, at this point, if you have any comment, I would invite you to share or speak and uh, Mbogo will share the phone number on the chat section for those who desire to give. God bless you even also as you give. So if anyone has a comment, you can share right now and then we can conclude. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the word, brother. I, I feel like you are speaking directly to my heart. God bless you so much. And uh, we, we keep praying for you. We keep praying for Cliff that uh, you may continue learning the unsearchable riches in Christ and grow each and every day. Thank you. Well, I'm in a noisy place, but I hope you can hear me. Thank you so much. Yes, we can. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank, thanks, bro. God bless you and uh, whatever.